Welcome to episode 29 of Mental Health by TalkLink. Here's what's coming up. Chickens have a pecking order and there's different personalities. And as a result of her observations, she learnt social skills to be able to go into that playground, to be able to actually look at the different children and the pecking order in the playground. Hi, I'm Rowan, and today we're speaking with Wendy Coombe, founder of Animal Therapies Limited which is the Australian peak body for animal therapies. Wendy worked as a senior leader and executive in several companies and organisations. However, it was in one of these roles that she suffered a pretty severe physical and emotional breakdown herself. During this time, she discovered the incredible benefit from her dog, Jack, driving her to establish Animal Therapies Limited to advance the understanding, acceptance and accessibility of animal-assisted services for those suffering from trauma, disability and adversity. Today's podcast is brought to you by TalkLink, an online directory listing mental health practitioners like psychologists, counsellors, and psychotherapists. You can search for a mental health practitioner for free by applying filters for things that are important to you, like a particular focus area or experience in a specific treatment type. You can even see a short video of the therapist to decide whether this is someone that you would like to connect with. Many mental health practitioners are booked out for weeks or even months at the moment. All the clinicians on TalkLink have capacity to see clients straight away. Find your mental health practitioner today at talklink.com.au. Okay, let's dive in. Why did you wake up one day and go, yes, I want to be involved in animals and human interactions and I'm going to create a charity for that? Great question. Um, way back in 2014, it seems a long time ago now, I got up one morning, went to work as a senior manager, like any other day, with no, um, uh, well, with no idea that at the end of the day, I couldn't remember how I got home and essentially my nervous system had shattered. Um, and I ended up being diagnosed with very severe stress, um, very severe anxiety and depression. So that I, um, I liken that time in my life to being like Forrest Gump. So if you go from a 30-year senior management career, a very high-level, complex decision-making to virtually stuttering and having to walk and walk and walk um, just to try to manage the the effects of the anxiety. I mean, the anxiety was like um, lightning going through every vein in my body, and the only way I could actually sort of get any sort of comfortable feeling in my body was just to walk, and uh, that involved mainly going out bush. So I wasn't comfortable going out in society. I'd become quite hyper vigilant and. Um, Certainly, certain things would trigger panic attacks. So my dog was uh, really very key to me being able to get out. And um, so I just knew that my dog really helped me and I really didn't feel comfortable in this place of just doing nothing and just existing. And I kind of didn't know where I fitted in the world anymore. You know, when you lose your career that you've always known for such a long time and you know through those sort of circumstances especially um, it's really hard to know how to move forward and so I 
I talked to my doctor about it. She recognised that Jack was um, pretty important to help me as a, you know, as a, a support mechanism for me. And anyway, sorry, one thing being, led Jack being your dog? Yeah, sorry, Jack's my okay. red and white colleague, yeah. And, um, and anyway, I got uh, a referral into an assistance dog training program. So that started that path for me which really helped me a lot and in fact he's been very much part of my recovery program and I don't always need to take him with me anymore um, but part of I guess going through all that I started when I was trying to work out how I could get help I was trying to find an, an, an association some sort of peak body that could give me information about where I could find the sort of help and the training for Jack one of my, well, both my sons have been in defence. Um, one's done three postings overseas. And I was certainly very aware of some of the return veterans and the effects of that service on being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. So um, I had a horse that I needed to rehome and um, I made contact with a program called um, Horses for Heroes and Prince now is a part of that program helping injured veterans they could be physically injured and be going through a sort of a rehab program or they could also have a psychological injury so I guess just my sort of exposure to the different types of animals helping humans program really created this curiosity as to what is this sector all about who's out there doing what and to my shock, um, I there was no industry association. So I thought, okay, um, you know, there's clearly a lot of people that could be helped through this kind of animal assisted service. So, you know, is there a way that I could start a charity and, you know, connect more people in need with these types of services? So. Um, I asked my partner if he was willing to actually take up a chair position and pull together a board because my nervous system still wasn't fully recovered to be able to um, take on that kind of role. So since then, we've, we've um, established uh, committees through every state and territory of Australia. We've got some amazing people making a difference. It's, it really is a, a, a great example of how a community can come together. Everybody's volunteers. Um, how a community comes together to, to, to grow a charity like ATL in the short two and a half years we've been established and we're helping a lot of people. What, what sorts of animals are used in animal-assisted services? What's the range? Give us some of the most common to some of the most extremes. Okay. So the most common animal would be a dog, obviously. Um, so you'll see them visiting hospitals. You'll see them... In over, actually overseas, there are assistance miniature horses uh, that have been trained. They actually go on planes and they're uh, mainly trained for, uh, as what we know as guide dogs, they guide horses. The horses are very much a part of animal assisted therapy. Monash University did a study on incorporating guinea pigs into therapy for children that were abused or neglected and they found and actually it was guinea pigs and rabbits and they found that that by um, working alongside guinea pigs and rabbits with neglected children it helped them develop empathy 
because they hadn't received that caring, loving home environment, some of these children haven't been able to develop those sort of compassionate, empathetic sort of qualities. So that was very much um, uh, an outcome in terms of that study. We have llamas. I recently went to a women's workshop that involved walking llamas into the rainforest as, as the beginning of the workshop. There's donkeys, there's even lizards. I know there's a psychologist, a couple of psychologists down in Melbourne that have lizards as part of their practice. And I think the type of animal um, comes down to two things. One, the person, the handler or the therapist or the um, facilitator must know that species traits. They must know, you know, the signs of stress. They must, you know, be fully um, conversant with uh, what's appropriate for the animal because there is an animal welfare, well-being aspect to this sector. And this is something that we're very mindful of and, and which is why we've developed a code of ethics. And we do expect service providers that list on our national directory to abide by those code of ethics. So with the absolute focus on the animal welfare and the human welfare. So I'm a proud member of the Australian Great Dane Lover Society. I've got a Great Dane. Oh. <laughs> Her name is Fantastic. Trixie. She's 75 Aww. kilograms. And wow. there's a Great Dane in our, in our group um, that used to go out to a local psychiatric hospital. Yeah. And he weighed, he was probably just over 80 kilograms, just this wow. gentle giant. And the owner would take him out and people would pat him. And she's actually now stopped doing that because there was a couple of instances where he was he was hurt, um, probably without full conscience of what that person was doing. But she's decided to take a step back from that. What's the process? Because she said that her dog was registered for that and it was it was understood and documented and she could take it into a hospital in a... In yeah. a quite a complex environment and she said that they used to make noises and you know they take it through a test and they would monitor the dog's response who does that sort of test and how do you get um, your pooch from the, the house to being certified if you are interested in supporting that kind of work um, what's that certification process and who does it and how is it done sure. yeah happy to answer that um, before I do um, when you're talking about the great your, your Great Dane Club, uh, it just uh, reminded me of a girl over in the United States that has a genetic uh, disorder where her you know there's difficulty for her to actually walk. And there was a great story about how she had tried um, crutches and you know to go to school, sit down, get up, but she found that really uncomfortable. And she ended up getting a Great Dane as an assistance dog because its height was perfect for her to hold it. And, you know, he would lie down next to her, you know, when she was sitting in the classroom and she could hold him, he'd stand up and help her stand up. So uh, it is interesting, like the size of the dog, the breed traits or any animal um, is very important to consider when it comes to actually what type of work they need to do. But as far as um, if you wanted to become a, you know, a, like a visitation animal handler, uh, you would need to get your dog or your animal, sorry, there's any, <laughs> there's a lot of animals that there's alpacas as well. Um, certainly your animal should be assessed um, as being suitable for that type of work. So, and safe in that type of work. Um, there'd be also induction training that the human would have to go through as well. 
Um, Delta therapy dogs, they do training and accreditation for visitation, animal visitation handlers. There are other organisations that do it as well. Um, and you do need to have insurance. So there are certain minimum standards that have to be met where the training, you know, what training organisation you went through, what certification you have, what insurance you hold, and do you actually have, um, you, do you agree to only use positive training methods? So we would uh, not approve a, somebody that were, had a choker collar, you know, on their, on their animal or any sort of collar that potentially inflicted harm to the animal. So there's a lot to be considered, but essentially we're not talking about somebody that's just got, and actually it was interesting because one of our speakers at the conference, Dr. Jeanette Young, she's, um, she's a health policy advisor over in South Australia, uh, works in the university system over there. And she did a presentation just on companion animals and the role they play for loneliness. Um, because loneliness is a big problem in Australia and certainly even more so now with COVID. But um, she said that 80% of pet owners don't know how to recognise their pet's stress if their pet is stressed. And that's quite a concern. You know, obviously there's a lot of work that needs to be done in, in people learning how to um, look after their own pets, let alone actually taking that animal into an environment where it may be in a hospital or a, a hospice or an aged care or, or work, you know, engaging with other humans. Um, so again, it comes down to that animal being assessed as suitable, that they're not showing any signs of stress um, or reactivity as well, like that there's any chance that they might bite. I mean, if they're going to go into a, a children's hospital and, a ch and potentially a child might run at them, uh, then certainly that animal needs to be assessed to respond, uh, not defensively, uh, but to be very comfortable. I mean, even when I went through my training with Jack, he had a, a you know, a, um, a shopping trolley kind of moved quickly towards him to see his reaction, you know, and certainly animals will always react, but it's how quickly they can actually calm down and just get back to normal life and not react in a way that's aggressive in any way, shape or form. So, yeah, so that's also what we're doing, Ruan. Um, we are actually going to be um, uh, providing people with the ability to connect to those training and accreditation organisations and the different programs that are out there. Again, this sector is very young. So um, it is, as far as um, vocational education and training qualification, we're working with an organisation at the moment to develop a cert for an assistance dog training. Could you tell us about some, some case studies maybe? Maybe that will help paint the overall picture as well. Sure. Um, I'll talk about uh, Summer Farrelly. She's our youth ambassador. And when she was, uh, she's on the autism spectrum, as is all her siblings as well. And when she went to school, she never felt like she belonged. She, um, she talks about being islanded where, you know, if you're in a situation and you're on an island, you're stuck on an island and you want to get off, you need, you know, a friend to help you paddle that boat to get off the island. And she said she never had that friend. And she used to go to her chicken um, coop and she used to, to sit with her chickens. And then she started to observe chicken behaviour and she realised that, 
chickens have a pecking order and there's different personalities. And as a result of her observations, she learnt how to, she learnt social skills to be able to go into that playground, to be able to actually look at the different children and the pecking order in the playground and understand, um, you know, she even gave them sort of uh, liken them to some of her chickens. <laughs> and anyway, she's now gone on to develop her. She's quite well known. She's developed a chicken assisted learning program. It's being signed off by one of Australia's leading psychologists on autism spectrum. Um, so she's now delivering this chicken assisted learning program to help other children better understand social cues and um, how to, you know, um, and, and to improve their social interactions. So that's one example. Love it. Chook assisted learning. Awesome. Chicken assisted <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, she's been, she's actually been on interviewed by uh, media. She'd be a great one to actually get onto your program yeah. as well. She's a real inspiration. So we ran a equine assisted learning program, um, which involved a number of horses and a group workshop on understanding the neural pathways of fight and flight, because horses of they're very they are very reactive to fight or flight. They they always sensing danger, and um, why they can be really effective in terms of helping people that also have that sort of hyper vigilance is that. Um, if you aren't able to get your and regulate your emotions when you're trying to engage with a horse, um, they won't engage with you. So again, it's a very experiential learning program that allows you to learn breathing, learn how to bring your energy down. And that's what you need when you're out, you know, when you actually have that uh, kind of condition. Um, we have occupational therapists. Actually, there's over in, um, again, in South Australia, we've got a, there's a pilot program being run by uh, Anne Hamilton-Bruce, who's a medical research scientist on uh, incorporating dogs into stroke recovery programs. So there has been research done that people that are in hospital recovering with their physiotherapy um, are more motivated to do exercises when it involves throwing a ball to an animal or interacting with an animal than say being in a, a gym where they're just doing functional training. So there's a whole range of, there's a whole range of different, um, assistance dogs can be trained for diabetes alert, seizure alert. They, Actually, can, um, you, can you go into those two a little bit more? I've read a little bit about that, how they use and why they used. Yeah, so dogs are very much their senses. So they can smell changes in a person's body. And um, so they can smell changes in the sugar levels of somebody with, di with um, diabetes. So they will alert, um, that they can alert on the onset of a diabetes attack, or they could, if that person does have one, they can go and actually get help for the person. Same with seizures, there's been a study that showed that they can smell a seizure coming on 45 minutes before it happens. So this is the role of the assistance dog trainer is that they look at the actual person's condition. I mean, obviously we know guide dogs, we know hearing uh, dogs as well, but they are trained specifically to help that person based on whatever their condition is and whatever type of tasks they need to be trained in to help that person live a more normal, you know, life and better access public life as well. That gives me goosebumps. That's 
Absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Have we applied that in Australia yet? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yes, we have S- many, Seizure detection um, dogs? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And there's even um, dogs trained to uh, for people who've got life-threatening allergies to pick up, say, peanuts in their meal and to stop them eating a meal that may contain an allergen. So... The um, other thing that study in terms of the visitation animals, so we don't refer to them as therapy because there's no qualified therapist that's actually handling that animal, but the visit is therapeutic and uh, it has been proven that interacting in that kind of uh, way with an animal for a certain period of time will result in your oxytocin levels going up, which are the good hormones, and your cortisol or your stress hormones coming down. So, um, you know, there is study and research that's been done. At the moment, down in uh, Victoria, La Trobe University has been engaged by the Department of Veteran Affairs to do a pilot program, training dogs to say, wake up veterans having um, (coughs) nightmares, that they can be trained to turn on a light, wake up the veteran and get them um, so they, you know, if they're actually having a night terror. Um, obviously, oh, there's a lovely girl that we met recently, Erin. She has uh, similar to both, uh, brittle bone disease and she's in a wheelchair and, you know, she's, I think she's just graduated um, from psychology university. Her dog was trained to open the toilet door because if she was to open one of those big, you know, where you have to pull the door, she could potentially break bones. So uh, the dog can pick up something she drops and give it to her. So there is just, it's there's so many things that animals can be trained to do and uh, they have such an important role in helping humans. Yeah, absolutely. The last place I wanted to go today was if you are a mental health practitioner or you want to um, pursue this potentially as a career, what are some of the next steps you can take to um, to upskill yourself or to get the accreditation you need to be able to start using animals in your therapy or maybe to even go study something associated with that? If your listeners want to hop onto our website, which is animaltherapies.org.au, um, they will be able to search for training organisations. And um, as I said, the the, while the assistance animal um, part of the sector is governed by laws, um, the animal-assisted therapy or the animal-assisted learning and the, the visitation animal side of um, the services are not governed by laws, um, but they are more governed by policy. So I know New South Wales Health have policies on visitation animals into hospitals. Um, you know, you'll have various organised... And that's where the organisation that you're actually wanting to go into has their own policies that you probably need to get across. But if it's uh, somebody coming to the allied health uh, practitioner's premises, then uh, obviously it's it's really a matter of that allied health professional having their own code of ethics, their own code of conduct that they have to comply with in terms of if they're an occupational therapist or whether they're a member of the ACA, the Australian Counselors Association or PACFA. We certainly have a code of ethics and a code of conduct we're about to roll out to service providers and uh, we will be encouraging um, service providers to get across those codes 
and to uh, work towards complying with those codes as well and building them into their policies. Okay, well, that's it for today. We hope that you've enjoyed this conversation with Wendy Coombe. You can find us on talklink.com.au. See you soon. Thank you.